Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, we chat about how adrenaline affects your mental and physical health and what you can do about it. You know you're here, you're physically here, but you don't feel like you're here. You feel like you're somewhere out there and you cannot focus, you cannot think clearly and you you panic Mm -hmm. because you feel like you are out of control. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I'm your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions, and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences, as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
Today, I am joined by the illustrious Karen Hurd. I love, love, love talking to this woman. She is just full of so much wisdom and so much compassion and generosity. So to be in her presence feels healing enough, but she has so much information. If you haven't listened to episode eight, that's my first interview with Karen Hurd, where I introduce her work and she tells us about her life and what led her to do this work and then explains essentially her entire philosophy on nutrition and the body and healing it. And today we spoke about adrenaline, which is at the base of my work, and it's really how I got into my work. As a trauma therapist, I started as a nutritionist, and I would just notice over time that people were coming in with very similar food habits that correlated to traumatic events and how their body stored that energy of trauma. And I would notice that through food, through nutrition, through balancing their, their biochemistry, just with whole foods, not no supplements or anything, whole foods, whole herbs, that their bodies would start to balance and their syndromes and symptoms would start to disappear. And this include, quote, mental illness symptoms, anxiety, depression, bipolarity, uh, schizophrenia even. it was It's quite amazing. I've seen people be able to reduce and even get off medication for schizophrenia because their diets are so balanced. The same for bipolar. Uh, I put that out there with caution because if you're listening to this and you're feeling the desire to get off your medication, please do so with a very well-trained facilitator or a practitioner or a therapist or doctor, somebody who can hold space for you so you have the safety of being witnessed and actually uh, a clear, safe path at titrating medications. Because if we don't titrate medications, the the loss in chemical imbalance that ensues from that can actually traumatize us further. So we want to be careful and do it in a way that's safe and feels supportive. The link between mental health and nutrition is becoming much more popular and more widely known, thank goodness, because uh, most of our, again, illnesses, physical and mental, stem from poor nutrition. And those of you who follow my work in this podcast know that I'm always bridging the gap between trauma and the body, trauma and nutrition, mindset, body, mindset, nutrition. So if we're coming back to the body and we're understanding, you know, I'm this consciousness, I'm this identity, I'm this being who's inhabiting a body. What my body does isn't me. What my body feels isn't me. What my body's going through isn't me. We have to learn the body like we would learn a pet or an animal. You know, my wife always says that she likes to see her body as her pet. Feed a really good food, take good care of it, give it lots of cuddles. And I think it's the most beautiful way to think about your own body versus being an extension of you. Because as Karen and I touched on very briefly, so many people go through shame when they're having a mental or physical illness, thinking they've failed or they're being punished or there's something wrong with them. And I always say, there's nothing wrong with you if your body's sick. There's something right with you. If you're eating something that makes your body sick, that's a proper response. If you're having inflammation and you're having nervousness and you can't sleep at night and you drink a lot of coffee, your body's having a healthy response to coffee. might be a strange way to think about it, but that's the only way I can see it. 
because there's no point in shaming yourself or blaming your body or seeing yourself as imperfect. We more want to understand, well, what don't we know about our bodies yet? And one thing that a lot of us don't know about our bodies is how they're affected by adrenaline and how adrenaline, adrenaline is at the root of so many of our issues, mental and physical. And there are certain practices that stimulate adrenaline. A few very simple ones that most of us uh, indulge in every day or, or take part of would be coffee, caffeinated teas, dark chocolates, sugar, not eating, skipping meals, watching violent or really agitating uh, media, especially before bed, being overconnected to your phone, always checking it, being in any kind of stressful situation with a person or, or an event, like an environment, and any kind of mental uh, let's say, replaying of stressful events as well as projection of stressful events, imagining something bad's going to happen. All of these things produce adrenaline and all of us do these things every day usually or experience them. So every day we are bathing ourselves in a hormonal cocktail, which as you'll hear very soon, has profound effects on the body. Okay, welcome back to the show, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me back. So I was really excited to talk to you about adrenaline because uh, that's how I got... <laughs> I'm laughing because adrenaline creates excitement. <laughs> exactly right. I can feel the adrenaline as I'm excited to talk to you about adrenaline. It, you know, the adrenaline is at the core of my work as a trauma therapist. Because PTSD and anxiety and, and trauma is all about adrenaline. And yes. your work is all about adrenaline. So I just wanted to kind of dive in and talk about it. So what comes up first when I say that? What's important for people to know about adrenaline? Adrenaline is a driving force in our life. And without adrenaline, we can't take one step forward. We wouldn't be able to do anything. This adrenaline is just, adrenaline is a hormone and hormones are catalysts. So they, a catalyst causes a chemical reaction to happen faster or to happen, period. In chemistry, reactions can happen spontaneously, but for the vast majority of what is occurring in the human body, it does, nothing is going to occur spontaneously. You have to have something that will kick that reaction into happening, and that's what catalysts do. Hormones are catalysts. Adrenaline and we'll call it adrenaline, it's a catalyst, but adrenaline is actually made up of two different hormones called epinephrine and norepinephrine, but we just collectively just call them adrenaline. So without adrenaline, we can't do anything. If you have too much adrenaline, it will undo you. Mm. And how do you know you have too much? If you have too much, you will have a tendency towards anxiety, generalized anxiety, you will definitely be having, if it gets really bad, you'll have panic attacks. They also call them anxiety attacks. It's where you feel like, like you're, you're losing control, like you're losing your mind. You know, you, you can't stand being in, around people, you know, too many people in the room or just a few people in the room or too much or too much input from the TV set, the radio, the, the computer, the, you know, the phone or whatever the, the input is. It's just everything is overwhelming and then your heart can pound just race boom we call it heart palpitations 
you will feel in a really bad panic attack, you will feel disembodied. I mean, you'll feel like, you know, you're here, you're physically here, but you don't feel like you're here. You feel like you're somewhere out there and you cannot focus. You cannot think clearly and you, you panic Mm -hmm. because you feel like you are out of control. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about that disembodiment, that's what we call dissociation. It's like so much, so much overwhelm happens in the body that the the nervous system literally can't withstand the charge. So you have to take off. Right. And so there's people that forget their childhood or people that kind of are driving and forget how they got home or they black out a memory. It's someone that experiences such a charge of adrenaline from the fight or flight response when there's a threat or an overwhelm. Right. Exactly. and how did, oh, go ahead. Well, it, I just wanted to, to agree with you that is, it is called the fight and flight response. And so it's when it's, and when it's overly done, fight and flight is good. I mean, if we're in a situation, you know, you're, you're driving in your car and somebody pulls out suddenly in front of you, you need that fight and flight response because it gives you quickly jam on the brakes, you know, turn the wheel or whatever you have to do to avoid an accident. And that this is happening so fast. Mm-hmm. That's how quickly this adrenaline is released. And so it's good. It's in, good in some situations, but in some situations it will cripple you. You know, we're talking about, you know, like a car wreck, but let's just say I work with a lot of musicians. You're a musician, so you probably do too. And so they will say, I'm saying musicians as clients, they're violinists that play for, you know, very famous orchestras, or they are celloists or, you know, a cellist, I think is the way you say it. you could correct me, but anyway, cellist, cellist. Okay. Thank you. And, or whatever their, their skill is. And they are so nervous about playing that it inhibits their performance mm. because it can't, focus on the notes that they're supposed to be doing and they just they're they're losing it so yeah that disassociation is with too much adrenaline yep and that's when we call someone when someone identifies with the term traumatized or post-traumatic stress syndrome or complex post-traumatic stress syndrome disorder that's someone that is over adrenalized which is amazing because i find that even if no one will do therapy if they just start with diet their PTSD symptoms start to come down and some of them completely disappear. And I wonder how much of that you see in your practice. Oh, I, I see a lot of it. I see a lot of it because people unknowingly are eating things that increase their adrenaline production and they're thinking they're doing it so I can be more focused, you know, and I'm thinking about caffeine. Caffeine is a typical thing that someone will turn to is, you know, I need to be more focused. I need to, you know, to, I have to concentrate on my work today. And, you know, I, I've got to, and so then they drink caffeine. Well, caffeine immediately causes an increase of adrenaline. So does sugar. And mm-hmm. people who are, you know, suffering with these type of problems, one of the main things that I see in my practice is they are sugar addicts. And so they're just, you know, they have their sugar and then then it gives you a temporary lift, but then it leaves you lower than it finds you. And you just keep then going back to the feeding trough of sugar. And so then you're just adding and you're fanning the flames of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said flames because I find adrenaline to be extremely inflammatory. And I'm curious if you can exp- explain to us biochemically what happens in the body when you're constantly releasing adrenaline in terms of the relationship to weight gain and inflammation. In terms with waking, you said? Weight gain and inflammation. What's the correlation there? Okay, waking, you mean as far as insomnia? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. About? W- weight gain. 
a weight gain. Okay. <laughs> Waking as well. That definitely yeah. comes to. Oh, okay. There is that too. I mean, you can't sleep well. Talk about all of it. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Weight gain. Whenever you have an adrenaline rush, let's address the weight gain first. And this will help you just understand what's happening in the body. Adrenaline is one of the two hormones that make it up, epinephrine and norepinephrine, are the triggers to a process in the liver called gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis is, sounds like a big garbly word, but it's pretty simple if you break it down. Gluco is sugar. Neo is new. Genesis is creation. So gluconeogenesis is sugar, new creation. We're having a new creation of sugar because whenever you have something that happens to you, you know, that you have this fight and flight response. You have to have the energy to, to do whatever you have to do to, to speed into action, to save the day, to do whatever you have to do. But that energy is not coming. We say it's coming from adrenaline. That's a little short-sighted. I mean, that's, that's like saying, um, mommy, where do babies come from? They come from mommy's tummy. Well, that's true. It's a little short-sighted, but it's true. But in this case of adrenaline, when you have this rush, you're getting this energy, but it's actually coming from ATP. ATP is, is the initials for adenosine triphosphate. Every single cell in the human body depends upon adenosine triphosphate to have the energy for the cell to do its work. If you don't have ATP, that cell is not going to do anything for you. So when we're responding in a crisis situation or a fight and flight situation, an adrenaline situation, we have to have the energy for the cell. But to create ATP is very, very necessary to not have protein. It's not a fat molecule. We have to have glucose, 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 because to make one molecule of ATP, we need several molecules of glucose to be able to accomplish that tremendous act. So here we are, we're having this release of adrenaline, but we're gonna to have to have the glucose to back it up to produce the ATP. How are we going to get the glucose? Well, say you, and we can get into sugar, how sugar actually causes a drop in sugar. When you eat sugar, you actually get a low blood sugar crack. We'll come back to that. But you don't have enough sugar to fuel all the things that you have to do right now. So how are we going to get to sugar? Your liver will make it through the process of gluconeogenesis but there has to be the trigger to make it, and the trigger is adrenaline. Mm. Adrenaline always causes this. And if you've got diabetics out there, and you probably have worked with them, diabetics will tell you when they're stressed out, their blood sugar goes up. Mm -hmm. When they're stressed out, they're producing adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, their blood sugars go up. So I love that's that. Yeah. And that's so, such a good connector. I, it's nice. So just to, I like to break everything down for people who aren't biochemists. Because oh, uh, <laughs> you, you're, I love your language. I love the chemistry language. Um, what the way I visualize it is, I always see caffeine as like a dictator. You know, so I see like you drink the caffeine, it forces the liver to give up that stored like glu glycogen or it's glucose. It's glycogen when it's stored, and then you can also create new glycogen. Yeah. So does it? So it gives? Does it force the glycogen out as well, or is it just force it to create new glucose? The caffeine. Well, it's, it's both. Okay. You it and then you're also going to be making because you won't have enough. You have to re be re making it right away. And what does it make it from? Oh, what is it made from? Sugar. Well, it, I mean, I know the carbohydrates, but like, what? Like, if you wake up in the morning and you haven't eaten for twelve hours, and the first thing you have is a coffee, 
where's the, where's the body getting the glucose if it's not already stored glycogen? Are you ready for this? <laughs> I'm because, ready. Yes. Because if your blood sugar is already so low and we don't have a source, we ha- this sugar is made out of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. We have to find a source of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen that we can steal or use as a resource. Where can you find that? Your protein molecules are made out of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen. So what makes a protein a protein is that extra nitrogen attachment to this CHO, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen. So the liver will also undergo the process. It's called the deaminization process. It will strip off the nitrogen molecule from the rest of the molecule of protein. And now we have carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. You just created a sugar. And so the liver is doing all of this by, mm. by taking your protein. And we all have protein stores. You'll say, well, no, their protein cannot be stored in the body. It cannot in the sense that there's not like a little storage facility and here's mm-hmm. a bunch of amino acids here and we're going to go to the bank of amino acids and pull it out. No, protein is us. It's right. every muscle. And so th- you will pull it from your muscle. You'll pull it from your buttocks. You'll pull it from your every muscle tissue that you have in your entire body. That's why people who, you know, like are starving, you know, they lose weight and they're not eating anything. You know, let's say you're in a concentration camp or whatever the situation, you have no food whatsoever, zero. Well, you can live a very long time. What are you living on? Because your brain is using the glucose to function. So where are you getting glucose? Because you're not eating any carbohydrates. Uh, Carbohydrates give us glucose. You're giving, you're getting it from all your muscle tissue. So that's why you see people who haven't eaten, they're wasted away. And you say they're just skin and bones. That's right. All their muscle tissue has literally been eaten to convert mm-hmm. it into glucose so that we can continue to live. And then if you continue on after a while, the last muscle that will be attacked is your heart muscle. Wow, that's amazing. So it's yeah. it's like the body, I think I've once heard the process called autolization. I don't know if that's the correct term, but the essentially the body digesting itself, you know, like tearing itself down to get yes. the nutrients it needs. Yes. So if you're waking up, no blood sugar, no food, drinking, pounding the coffee, especially, you know, you see people out there with those like 32 ounce Dunkin' Donuts. And, oh, and, yes. and that's breakfast, you know, there's nothing else. And so this person is literally stripping away their stored protein, which is essentially their muscles and their tissues and their, their fibers. Back. So that they can create that glucose so yes. they can feed the cell and the glucose is like the little firewood getting thrown into the cell. So then there's all this energy to function. Yes, that's exactly it. It's so interesting because it, it really is, it, 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 must be, it must be one of the most addictive substances then because if, if you are in that cycle, especially for decades, you are actually like enslaved to the caffeine because without it, your cells just aren't functioning, I'm assuming, because you're so depleted. That's exactly it. Because if you don't have, what happens is when you do the caffeine, you are forcing the production of adrenaline. And your plants are fatigued. I mean, it's like you, you have a healthy horse. You start out with a healthy horse, but you never feed them right. You don't take good care of them. You abuse them. You know, you just keep them work and work and work and you never give them good food. Well, he does, doesn't do such a good job anymore. And so what do you do? You get out a whip and you beat the horse. 
And then guess what? If, I mean, I have a little bit, I'm not an, I'm not a horse woman, but I mean, you know, I know a little bit about horses. I know if you whip them, they will run. And if, so they run for you. Does that make them healthier? The horse healthier? No, he's still overworked. He's still not being fed correctly. And so, but every time you whip him, he will run and he will run Mm -hmm. and he will continue to run. But there will be a day that when you drink your coffee or take your caffeine, that horse doesn't run anymore. Those adrenal glands are just like, I am, I'm, I'm so exhausted. I, I can't do this anymore. And you can beat me with however many whips you want to beat me, but I can't move. And that's when we sink into these depths of despair of depression, because depression is the opposite of anxiety. Depression is not enough adrenaline. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough adrenaline. Yeah. You and just I'll lost your charge. Back, yeah. And I'll tie this back into neurotransmitters if you want to, because this is very important because we Please. always think the present and anxiety is, you know, this is an imbalance of brain chemicals. Well, it is an imbalance of brain chemicals. So what are the brain chemicals? They are neurotransmitters. In our brain, we have to send all these little electrical messages. They're called action potentials. And we have 10, it's estimated that we have 10 billion neurons. Those are neurons as a brain cell. And they're sending so many messages per nanosecond. It's just incredible. I mean, just think of us, you and I speaking. Mm-hmm. How many messages have to be you know, sent back and forth to formulate our words, to communicate, you know, to do the motions as we talk. It's tremendous amount that is happening. And so all these little electrical messages have to travel to another neuron, to another neuron, and then eventually to the peripheral nervous system. The brain is called the central nervous system and peripheral nervous system is, you know, going out to your hands and your feet and all the parts of your body. So we're sending all these messages everywhere. Those messages have to be transmitted from one neuron to another neuron. A neuron is a cell body, and from the cell body, there are neural fibers that extend from it. Just think of it like spider webs coming out or just little arms, you know, wires coming out from the, the neuron body. And the ones that are sending the message are called axons. And then on the receiving neuron that's getting the message, the little neural fiber that's extending from the neural body is called a dendrite. The axon and the dendrite, they never touch one another. They are not, we don't have a closed circuit. So we're talking electricity here. If you don't close the circuit, then the electricity goes bing and it stops and you don't get to where you're supposed to go. So we have to have something to close the circuit. What is closing the circuit? Your neurotransmitters. And so your each cell can make, we used to think one neuronal cell would make, and the neuronal cells are making your, neuro, your neurotransmitters, that each particular, like a pyramidal cell would only make uh, serotonin or dopamine or acetylcholine. These are some different neurotransmitters. We make over a hundred neurotransmitters. Well, we've discovered now that a particular neuron can make more, two or even more types of neurotransmitters. So that's our brain making the neurotransmitters to talk to each other. And all that's fine and dandy, and we're we're talking, you know, the messages are coming through. Where does adrenaline come in? Because adrenaline is adrenaline made in the brain. Actually, epinephrine and norepinephrine, that's adrenaline, is made in the brain. But the vast majority that is influencing our brain function is not made in the brain. Where is that made? And the adrenal glands, and the adrenal glands are not a part of the central nervous system at all. They sit on top of your kidneys and, and like in your back, and they're called adrenal because 
your kidneys or the renal and then adenines on top of. So they're not associated with kidney function at all. They're completely separate. They're, part they're very of the little. They're little glands. Oh yeah, they're little. They're like a little tiny little cap, you know? Mm-hmm. I always think of, you know, a little monkey with a little wrist, <laughs> tiny little cap on his head, you know? <laughs> and so the adrenal glands are little, but they are powerful and they're producing adrenaline. Well, the brain is protected by what's called a blood-brain barrier so that just whatever's flowing through your bloodstream is just not going to be able to just jump into your brain because if you if you really if you damage your neuron this is bad news because neurons are unique in a human body they don't undergo a mitosis mm. a mitosis is a cellular cycle like you know if you if you ever cut yourself or we all have we scratched yourself you have something in 7 to 10 days your skin grew back because you have a mitosis of cells, you're growing new cells. Your liver can grow new cells. You're, you know, we know all, all, all kinds of tissue grow new cells. A neuron does not have a copy of the DNA. To be able to undergo my, mitosis, a cellular cycle, you have to have a copy of the DNA. Neurons do not carry the copy of the DNA. All other cells in your body, with the exception of red blood cells, carry a full and complete copy of your entire DNA inside the nuclear envelope, inside this cell, but not a neuron. So if you destroy a neuron, it's gone forever. There's not one that's going to step up, regenerate, replace it. It's gone. So that's why we have this blood-brain barrier is to protect these neurons because they are, they're, they're like, they are life. They're just, they're, they're critical without our brain. We cease to function because our brain's telling our heart to beat. Our brain's telling our lungs to breathe. The brain is controlling all operations. And so the blood-brain barrier is incredibly important. But there is a way to get into the brain. There is a way to circumvent the blood-brain barrier. And that's if we have a little pathway, like, into the brain. Part of your brain is called the hypothalamus. And the hypothalamus is directly connected in a pathway. We call it an axis to your pituitary gland. What's your pituitary gland? Part of your endocrine system. The pituitary is at the base of your brain. It's very local to the brain, but it's not part of the brain. And so the pituitary is always talking to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is giving the pituitary instructions. Hey, pituitary, we need so much adrenaline here because we're having a crisis mm-hmm. and all this is happening in, in, you know, split seconds, you know? And so then the pituitary gets the message, we need more adrenaline. And then it sends out what is called a stimulating hormone to your adrenal glands to release adrenaline. And then you get the adrenaline release. Well, this is working on a negative feedback loop. So then when we release the adrenaline, then the Pituitary is measuring how much adrenaline is the bloodstream, feeding that back to the hypothalamus, and the hypothalamus is saying, okay, regulate, come, you know, we're trying to get into a right balance. We're always trying to keep a right balance, unless we overrule things by doing caffeine or sugar and do something to purposely hype ourselves up with adrenaline. But the adrenaline, because we have this axis between the hypothalamus and the pituitary, the adrenaline, the actual little molecules of hormones can enter the brain through that pathway. And so if you are having an adrenal rush from your adrenal glands, we call them non-neural hormones. They're hormones that are not made in the neurons, but they are made someplace else. And this is a non-neural hormone, epinephrine and norepinephrine. And they are some of the most powerful hormones in the brain. 
So you have this gap between the axon and the dendrite where we, we've got to send this electrical message. And in this gap, we're going to fill it with a neurotransmitter. If we have a large rush of adrenaline, we are just flooding that gap. We're closing that circuit with a large amount. There's receptor sites on each neuron and for these, these hormones, these, these neurotransmitters, whether it's coming from the adrenal glands or the neurons making itself. And whenever you have this attached to a receptor site on a neuron, you stimulate the cell into either action or inaction. And whether the cell, the neuron goes into action or inaction is just a basic sum total of how many inhibitory receptor sites were triggered or how many excitatory receptor sites were triggered. And that is determined by the type and the amount of neurotransmitter in the synaptical gap. That gap in between them is called that synaptical gap. So that's why, you know, when you're drinking your cup of coffee, how is it that you feel so much smarter and brighter and clear headed and thinking, you know, because you thought adrenaline was supposed to give you energy to run. Well, it does give you energy to run too, but it's because it is a neurotransmitter. You've just created a large amount of neurotransmitter. That's amazing. So that's how it affects your nervous system. Yes, that's exactly how it affects your nervous system. And for different people, it'll affect them different ways. Like you can feed a kid sugar and some kids will be bouncing off the ceiling, you know, with sugar. They're just went hyper, hyper there. And so that excitatory triggers on the neuron are outweighing the inhibitory. Mm. But some people, when you feed them sugar, they just go, Duh, mm-hmm. and they go into la la, hello, knock, knock on the brain. <laughs> it home in there, you know, are you with me? Hello? That's me. That's where I go. Yes, and so that is dependent on upon you know each individual's particular makeup but that's why you can eat the same thing like sugar and some people go really low with it and some people are you know so high that they're bouncing you know i love i love how you broke all that down because it's um that's why i call caffeine the dictator because you know you eat it, it goes into your body, and it kind of makes war. You know, it just goes. It goes. It tells the adrenals, like you said, it whips the adrenals. Like whether you want to or not, you're gonna work for me. It whips them. They it, they explode, and how I visualize it, all these hormones you're know, exploding into the system. Then the nervous system is completely lit up, and this happens within minutes. So you're waking up, and your body's already out of balance upon waking, and then the rest of your day is all about overcompensating for that imbalance, right? By like extremely refined carbohydrates or people that 9, 10 p.m. are drinking wine, eating cheese and bread because they're so activated from the adrenaline. Uh, do you, you see the same thing, I'm, I'm sure? Well, I see the same thing. You know, Dr. Pepper, the old, now I'm, I'm a little older than you are, but when I grew up, they were in bottles, Dr. Pepper. And it, it said on the 10, 2, and 4, because that was when you would need a Dr. Pepper. They're loaded with Dr. Pepper's loaded. Oh, funny. You need yeah. one at 10 a.m., you need one at 2, you need one at 4. Sure. You keep going. Yeah. You keep going. Yeah, yeah. Printed on the bottle. You know? Well, it's, you know, I also, to backstep, I appreciate how you broke down how the adrenal glands and the adrenaline, um, what's the word, influences the nervous system. Because we're also, in, we're inferring there about mental health. And because, you know, I've seen so many people who have been misdiagnosed as having a mental illness and really are just diabetic or have hypoglycemia 
or you know take drink too much caffeine or caffeine sensitive who have been diagnosed with anxiety or bipolar or depression and the moment they get their nutrition in order those symptoms you know essentially don't exist so uh, I think it's an, in- an important correlation for people listening how caffeine and sugar affects your your mental health like what you were saying Absolutely. And, you know, and so many times I've talked to a lot of people that are experiencing, you know, the post-traumatic stress disorder or bipolar, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, generalized, or, you know, the more panic attack. And so many of the times they blame themselves. Like there's something wrong with me. I should be able to handle this better. I am, you know, worthless. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's, no, this is a physiological problem. And if you just understand that you're, you're, you're causing abuse, if you will, to your body without you even knowing it, most people yes. don't even fully recognize it. Yes. It's so cult- It's so part of our culture that it's just the way we live. It's like these accepted rituals and practices. It's like our religion. And so like work in America is is very much like a religion in lots of countries where we have this uh, connection and relationship to our work, which is about going beyond our needs for the need of whatever the work is. So it's like a bypassing of the self. And so when you say there's this uh, unintentional, unknown, innocent self-abuse essentially, to the physiology from nutrition and practices. I completely agree. And I'm always trying to separate that for clients from identity versus your body. Like I am lazy or I am weak or I can't handle anything. That's such identifying with the physiology. But when we separate that identity from the body, like you just said very beautifully, you, you learn this body is an animal that I inhabit and I get to learn how to feed it. And as I feed it properly, I'm fine. <laughs> it's not your identity, it's your body, right? Exactly, exactly. That's powerful. Yeah. So now enter the beans. You know, this is, this is where, <laughs> tell us, tell us the, how soluble fiber impacts adrenaline and the rehabilitation of the nervous system. It has a huge impact because, because adrenaline is a hormone. Your body is saying, whoa, we have too much adrenaline here. Clear it, clear it, clear it. Well, who's responsible for clearing it? The liver. Mm -hmm. And these hormones, epinephrine and norepinephrine, they're made out of fat-soluble components. And so they're going to have to be cleared by the only organ that clears fat-soluble waste, and that's your liver. So the liver clears these hormones out of the bloodstream. What does it do with them? Puts it into a digestive fluid called bile. The bile travels down to your gastrointestinal tract. Ooh, well, that's pretty cool because if we're in the gastrointestinal tract, there's a chance that we might be able to excrete it in the form of a bowel movement. And in fact, that is the whole purpose of putting fat-soluble waste into your gastrointestinal tract so it can be excreted. Okay, so here we go. Here's the problem. We're putting all these hormones. Oh, and you should know too, they don't usually, they're not usually degraded. Epinephrine and norepinephrine are very small molecules. The liver can degrade them. The liver is incredible. It can metabolize so many things. And it breaks it down into its little constituent parts, carbons and hydrogens and oxygens. And and that's basically what those molecules are made out of. Um, And then it's it doesn't do that though, because it's such a small molecule. It says, oh, just jump into the bile and go on down there to the stomach. You're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But in the gastrointestinal tract, you have epithelial cells. Those are the cells that line the lumen, the opening of the gastrointestinal tract. And there's receptor sites for those hormones. And so those hormones, wherever they go, they're catalyzing more chemical reactions. So then we get gut problems. We feel sick at our stomach. 
we can go into worse gut problems, you know, we can have. Now, is that because the, just to understand that a little more, is that because the, the adrenaline and those hormones in the bile acids are, are physically degrading the epithelial cells? Or is that breaking them down, causing inflammation? Like what's happening physically that well, causes the GI problem? Well, it's actually, um, it's a pH problem. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because whenever you concentrate more and more hormones, there the hormones have on the, are, are surrounded by hydrogens. They're actually attached. They're chemically attached through hydrogen bonds. And the more hydrogens that you have in a substance, then that lowers the pH. The pH is the negative logarithm of hydrogen ion concentration. I know it's a mouthful. An, a hydrogen ion is a hydrogen atom. We also call them protons in chemistry. They're all anonymous. They're, they're, they're or not anonymous. Uh, now they're the same thing. And people and, listening will probably know acidic versus alkaline. That's how they think of pH. Acidic versus alkaline, right. And so if we put more and more hydrogens, hydrogens make something acidic. The more mm. hydrogens you have, the more acidic something is. The more hydroxyls you have, that's an OH, a hydrogen and an oxygen attached to the hydrogen, that makes something alkaline or base. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so when you're clearing these hormones, they are acidic because they have a preponderance of hydrogen ions. And then we concentrate them, and as I'll tell you in a minute, how they get concentrated more and more. And so as the hydrogens are coming down, then they actually are creating an acidic, more acidic environment. In different places in your gut, we have different levels of acidity, and the acidity is, is helpful to us. So the pH, the negative log of hydrogen ion, ion concentration, the lower the pH, because it's a negative logarithm, then that means the lower the number, the more acidic it is. It sort of goes backwards in our thinking. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, well, you know, more acidity, it should be higher. No, mm-hmm. the higher the number, the more alkaline something is. And so when we create a more acidic environment in the gut, it actually damages the epithelial cells. And then if you damage those, if it is a constant coming into contact and those are damaged, then you can damage the cells. We have three layers there in the gut, the endothelial cells, which are the cells underneath the epithelial cells. And then if you get into the mesenchymal cells, which are underneath that, that's your basement, that's your foundation, that's your, mm. we are in deep trouble because now we're about to enter the bloodstream. I mean, we're, 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 we're making big bleeding ulcer type of stuff. This is bad, you know? Yep. So it, so we we want to keep that pH where it should be. Well, how should we keep the pH? Well, I mean, we can take baking soda. I mean, baking soda is very alkaline. It will immediately, I mean, instantaneously change the pH of your gut if you take baking soda. In fact, we have cells in our duodenum, that's the first part of our small colon, as well as our stomach that are actually secreting baking soda. It's actually called bi- bicarbonate, bicarbonate mm-hmm. ions. Mm-hmm. And so we're secreting that to try to balance out the acid so we're not going to have too much acid. But when you keep dumping hormones into mm-hmm. your bile, especially, you know, you're having an adrenaline rush, you can feel sick at your stomach because you have, yep. first of all, you have all this stimulation going on. And then you have the, the acid. You probably have heard, you know, there's the, the gut is the second brain. I don't know if you've ever heard that, you know, th- those terms before, but it's because they are triggering reactions. And then at the same time, they are making things more acidic. 
So, you know, we, we, to finish this out, so we're throwing all these away. The liver's doing a great job. It's pulled out all these hormones. All this stuff is extra. We want to get rid of it. Good job, liver. Places it in the bile. The bile goes down to the gastrointestinal tract, and it travels through your duodenum, through your duodenum, and into the ileum. These are all some parts of your small colon. Just prior to entering the large colon, there's a valve there called the ileocecal valve. And before things can pass through the ileocecal valve, it's closed off, it's gonna to have to be opened up and then things can pass. At that terminal part of the ileum, this is where we have an absorption of fatty acids. Okay, so what's so important about fatty acids? Well, you might recall just a little bit ago, I said that hormones are made out of fats. Does that mean your own hormones? are being absorbed? And the answer to that is yes, they are. I believe How? you said 95%. Yes, sir, 95%. So 95% of those hormones that we're trying to get rid of that are making you go wild and hyper or, you know, feeling panicky or whatever, you know, you're, you know, heart racing and all the rest of it. 95% of those hormones are dumped back in the bloodstream. They are not being broken mm. down. They mm. are not degraded. And hormones never lose their capacity to continue to catalyze one reaction after another. You know, sometimes wow. people be used up. You of know? course. Like they're diluted by then, but they're not. They're still powerful. They're they're, they are, they, they maintain there's, and it gets into a lot of chemistry, but they just, they just change their form. They just, mm -hmm. it's called a relaxed state and a taunt state. And they just go and they change their form. And then they catalyze the reaction and then they go back to their normal form. Then they, but they keep catalyzing and stimulating regardless of the form change. They never stop. That's amazing. So I want to pause to, to catch everybody up. That's amazing. So you're drinking coffee, you're eating lots of dark chocolate, you're drinking, eating sugar, you're not eating in the morning, you're fasting, you're uh, very stressed, you have a fight or flight, PTSD. All these things are stimulating adrenaline, which is forcing your liver to create this glucose or give up the glycogen and or. And then that's rushing signals, uh, rushing the hormones to the brain, to the nervous system, creating a major excitatory experience essentially. And then the, the body's flooded with this hormone that's exciting everything and stimulating. And the liver's like, well, I need to get rid of you. There's too much of you in the blood. So it takes it, it filters it, throws it into some bile. Imagine the bile going through the gut. The bile is loaded with hydrogen, so it's acidic. It's yes. burning your intestines as it goes through. Yes. <laughs> and your body exactly. says, I'm getting rid of you. And then it gets right down to the ileocecal valve and it says, sucking you back in. And so you're in this closed circuit of acidic excitatory stimulation that's so intense so you're literally intoxicated by yourself yes exactly amazing and this is where the beans come in to save your life <laughs> yes yes this is exactly where the beans come in to save your life because when you eat beans they beans are our richest source of something called soluble fiber and soluble fiber cannot cross the intestinal barrier. No fiber does. Insoluble, there's only two types of fiber, insoluble and soluble. And then among the soluble fiber, we have different, we have pectins and we have cellulose and we have, we have different types of soluble fibers. But soluble fiber has this unique characteristic outside of it not being able to be absorbed. All fibers can't be absorbed. 100% will pass in your stool but it has also this unique characteristic that it can capture a biomolecule and all of the biomolecule, they're called micelles, that it, it holds. And it, it does this because it's a very complex polysaccharide 
um, the soluble fiber. It's like a really tight mesh, you know, of this of the the smallest, you know, mesh. You know, I don't know how they grade it. I know how they do it in linen sheets. You know how many you know mm-hmm. thread per you know per inch and stuff like that. But it is just a, a tiny, tiny, tiny little holes, and it's a net, and it captures. It just captures these biomolecules mm. and holds them. And once they're captured, they cannot get released. They're captured. It's like a cheesecloth. Yes, like a cheesecloth. Exactly. That's a perfect illustration. And so then then it will pass through the allele state. And by the way, then it can't be absorbed because if you're all caught up in a soluble fiber net, you cannot cross. You're not going to be able to escape the net to get out to cross through into the portal vein, which is what takes it back to the into the circulation through the liver and into the circulation again. All these hormones they're captured. So where are they headed? They're going to cross through that ileocecal valve, and once they're in the large colon, they're home free. Mm. They are going out. You know, That's they're going amazing. to go out and form a bowel movement. And this is why people who eat a really high amount of soluble fiber will have floating stools, right? Because there's so much bile acids and fat in the actual bowel movement, which is a good sign. Yes, that's a good sign because you want to have floating stools because it's just telling you you have more fat and bile is a fat. These are all fats. And so fat, of course, is lighter than water. And that's why they float. Stools float. Amazing. It's so amazing how something so humble and in abundance is so vital for us. It's like... The earth has exactly what our bodies need. I know. I love it. It's not amazing. That. It's so kind. <laughs> it's just so kind. And and I'm wondering, like, I don't know how much research you've done um, culturally, historically, but, you know, do you find culturally and historically beans were a staple in most regions? They or- were and still are in some regions. I mean, you know, like in, I have some clients that are in Egypt and, you know, in, in Cairo and they tell me, you know, well, I said, you know, you, you got to stay away from the French fries or, you know, whatever I'm, and they'll say, well, they don't serve French fries in the McDonald's here. And so I don't know if they do now, but this was like a couple of years ago. I'm talking to this particular client. I said, so what are they serving? They said, they serve beans. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> they serve beans, the fava beans, you know, that's Incredible. what they have. That's what the culture eats. That's their carbohydrate versus like a fried potato. Instead of fried potato. Yeah. And so it depends upon the culture. As far as United States culture, we ate beans. I mean, think about the cowboy, you know, out and, you know, pushing along those little dogies, you know, riding the range. What did they always, what do you always see the cowboy with? Pot of beans over that open fire. They're all making beans because beans, and that's what we carried in the ships. And, you know, if you check the manifest of ships crossing into the U.S. long before the early 1900s. There wasn't bags of flour. There are bags of beans. Mm. That's what everybody ate. Just ate beans, 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 beans. Then in the early 1900s, we had the advent of the flour mill. And so in the United States. And with the flour mill came this wonderful, I'm putting this in quotes, wonderful ability to be able to grind wheat berries into this fine flour. And you can make bread so easily because before then, I mean, to crush a wheat berry, you know, you got to have, you know, they would do it on two rocks basically, you know, and just, you know, put it on top of it. It's a lot, it's a lot of work, okay, Mm -hmm. to crush wheat berries and to grind it into flour and to, you know, mill it. And so now we have a flour mill and you can take down your hundred pounds of wheat berries and then you get all this flour back and you can Mm -hmm. make bread. So what would you rather have for breakfast? Toast, bread, 
or would you like to have beans like we've been having for the last several hundred years? Well, we want to have bread. Mm. We want bread. And so in the wheat berry, you don't have that soluble fiber. So we lost yeah. the fiber. That's so it's so interesting. I always think of energy as well, because um I'm one of the things I'm trained in is somatic therapy and it's all about how your body's holding the energy in the nervous system, whether it's like an activated energy or regulated energy. And um, when I think about us as a human family uh, grinding our flour by hand, I think about the, how much energy was exerted. So those concentrated, you know, refined calories from crushing, they kind of balance the exertion. Yes. And I think about when the mill was created and when and more food became was given to us from factories, our bodies were doing less to take in all that excess energy. And this is where disease really started to increase. I think that that's excellent. I've never heard that take on it, but I, that's so true. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I, I love watching those beautiful um, uh, documentaries that take you around the world, different kind of street foods or cultures. And I love to watch them prepare the, how every culture prepares their food, the ones that were prepared them by hand still. And I just see how much work they're doing. And I think, well, that's like, that's, that seems like within nature's law. Like if you're going to eat something that gives you a lot, you're going to have to put a lot out. And there's just this balance. So beans are so a uh, part of nature's law in that way, because they're so stable. They're so easy. They take very little work, you know, to pick and then store and then boil. And they give you exactly what you need, not too much, right? It's a pretty balanced food. It's amazing. It is. And what I love about the bean protocol is you're just asking people to add half of a cup with each meal. So even if someone is is, uh, emotionally unable to do the whole protocol Mm -hmm. or is taking it really slow, I've seen people just adding beans to their diet three times a day have tremendous results and not change anything else. It's incredible. It's like a really good stepping stone, right? A first step. It's a first step. Yes. Yes. You know, so, I mean, you answered almost all my questions. I was thinking my mind was going back to the inf- inflammatory question, but that, that was answered as well with the hydrogen, right? That would be caused by the acidity or is there another thing you want to add to the inflammation? In the gut, in the gut it's caused, inflammation can happen in the gut, not in the rest of your body because pH, the body pH is 7.4. Like if you're, you're inside of us, to be able to have chemical reactions happen in the bloodstream and all of our muscle tissues and, and not, so we're outside the GI tract. The GI tracts, just think of it as sort of separate mm-hmm. from the rest of your body and the operations of the rest of your body. You have to have a 7.4 pH because chemical reactions won't happen in a pH that's too high or too low. And so the body will maintain your pH at 7.4 always. If it doesn't, you die. I mean, this is that simple because chemical reactions can't happen. You cease to exist because everything that is happening with this is coming from a chemical reaction. So the acidity levels are changing in your gut, not in your bloodstream and in the rest of you. So the inflammation, if you're thinking of inflammation, like, you know, oh, my knees are inflamed, my shoulders inflamed, you know, I've got arthritis, that type of thing. That is a different issue altogether than gut inflammation. But gut inflammation is definitely being caused by the pH. So how does the, and does, I should say, caffeine and the excess stimulation of adrenaline, how does that correlate to joint inflammation? It has a definite correlation, several different ways. First of all, let's look at what are called adipokines. Whenever you have a release of sugar from the liver 
or whether you're eating the sugar, you just have this big influx of sugar, our body is trying to maintain a certain blood glucose level. Because if you get too much blood glucose and you go into a diabetic coma, which can be fatal and your body is gonna do everything that it can to stop that from happening. And so as your blood sugars start to come up, you know, you'll say, well, I've never gone into a diabetic coma and I eat sugar all the time. That's right, because your body stepped in and stopped it. How did it do that? It takes the sugar and it places the sugar into cells called adipose tissue and adipocyte. And then whenever you put sugar into adipose tissue, you will release a substance called an adipokine. An adipokine is an inflammatory chemical. It immediately causes inflammation in whatever area it was released. Wherever the tissue was that it was released, you're getting inflammation, which mm. means achiness, soreness, swelling, you know, the whole inflammation deal. And so sugar is an inflammatory agent because of adipokines. Then we have, you know, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, stimulating the adrenals, the adrenals, we stimulate them, overstimulate them. But what happens when we're not stimulating? What, what, for, what about those, you know, that hour that, you know, we, we've dropped off, the adrenaline has dropped off because your liver's clearing it out fast, 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 clearing it, clearing it, clearing it. But some of it's coming back too. But what happens when your adrenals are not being whipped? Are they producing enough adrenaline for you? No. That's when you sink into the depression. Mm. You know, you just, you just don't even want to get out of bed. You don't want to do anything, go anywhere. You, you know, you can't even go to work. I mean, you can get really bad with depression. That's the person so, that says, I need my coffee. That's the person that's that says, I can't work without my coffee. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. <laughs> that's that person. <laughs> yeah, that person. And so your adrenals, because they have been whipped, for however long, and usually for most people, this is decades, because we started as children. I mean, I remember as a child having candy, you know, and Halloween was a big deal, you know, and you probably bring home bags of candy, I just sit there and eat candy, you know? And so it, we start as children, and then we wear these adrenal glands out, we just keep whipping them and whipping them and whipping them and whipping them, and then so by a certain age, whenever that happens for you, your adrenals are so fatigued that not only are they not able to make enough adrenaline for you when you need it, when you just to keep you going for your basic functions, they are not able to make enough cortical steroid for you. The adrenal glands do not just produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. They are also producing many other hormones. And one of the major, there, there's a class of hormones called cortical steroids. And there's glucosteroids, there's mineral steroids, there's hydrosteroids. The purpose of these steroids, the main number one purpose of steroids is to reduce inflammation. But if you're fatigued, your adrenal glands are fatigued, how can you produce any of this, you know, this cortical steroid to reduce everyday inflammation? And you have to understand, we have everyday inflammation occurring 100% of the time. You'll say, well, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here. Well, if you're just sitting there, you have blood coursing down your veins. Mm -hmm. You have your heart beating against your chest wall. Your lungs inflate against the pleura and they deflate. And every time you have motion, you have friction. This is the third law of motion. This is not something that's debatable. This is not theorized. This is a law of nature. For every, the third law of motion states this, for every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. We have proven this beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's a law. 
From that law, that third law motion, we derive our contact force laws. The first contact force law is the law of friction. The law of friction says, you, you, when you have two surfaces rubbing together or impact some type of contact between surfaces, there is going to be a frictional force created. Well, if you don't know what friction does, this is a simple experiment. Rub your hands together. You just rub your hands together. And what's happening to them? They're heat. getting heat, warmer, warmer. And as you continue to apply heat to tissue, it causes the tissue to break down. It causes proteins to become denatured. They die off. They break down. You, and then you just chafe them away, too. If we kept rubbing our hands and didn't stop, I mean, pretty soon your hands are, you know, they're all roughed up. They're bleeding. They're sore. You know, it's just how you wore your skin away. And so we have to have naturally produced cortical steroids made in only the adrenal glands. They're only made in the adrenal glands. And so we have those always coursing through our body to reduce the everyday inflammation made by our heart beating, our lungs breathing, just the blood flowing, and then of course motion. I mean, if we're walking and we're moving and our, you know, right now we're talking and our mandible, the jawbone is connected here into the skull and it's going up, down, mm -hmm. up, down, up, down with each little motion. And there's all that motion between those joints. And so what is keeping the friction causing damage to that joint down? It's the cortical steroids that are mm -hmm. flowing through the body, always reducing inflammation. So there's this foundation of just living that uh, beckons that response. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you have exhausted your adrenal glands through whips over and over for years, it's just like, guys, you want me to make adrenaline, you know, at the drop of a hat and you're also expecting to make cortical steroids. I will make them for you for this moment in time because it's releasing all the hormones. When you mm -hmm. stimulate the adrenal glands, it's going to release your cortical steroids. That's why mm. people say, you know, that I'm arthritic and, you know, I'm, it's a more, when I exercise, when I'm actually in motion, all my pain in my joints is gone. Well, yes, because you're forcing a production of cortical steroid. Mm. And so going to all those achy joints and it's taking away, but I will tell you, you will go back home and it will not be very long. And you're sitting in the chair and you are so stiff, you can barely get up because mm -hmm. of the inflammation. Why? Because you're no longer forcing a production of adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, forcing an adrenal response. And so therefore you're not getting any of the cortical steroids. So you, your inflammation is all over the place because you just did so much friction by all your exercise. My mind goes to runner's high. So you, you, to runner, runner, runner's high where, you know, as you're running, yeah. you feel like euphoric. You can't, you can't really feel yeah. any pain because you're making yeah. all those yeah. yes. the cortisol making, response. Yes. You're making, you're making a cortical steroid response. You're also making endorphins. That's another that's part two. That's another part of thing that's happening in you. That's why you feel so, whoa, so high. But anyway, yes. And that's why you, you're, all oh, your pain goes away. Oh, but it's going to come back and it's going to come back and hit you harder than if you had it before. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Uh, you know, one thing I think of that has changed my life or I've changed in my life as a test since uh, studying your work and speaking with you is, is my relationship to exercise and how I use my body. And um, I, I, you know, I used to be a runner, and then I stopped many years ago. But I, I've noticed in the last couple months since doing the bean diet, um, I've I've only really done very simple uh, yoga, very very gentle yoga, um, like vinyasa, and I've done um, like simple little calisthenics, nothing where I'm jumping up and down, but like really slow kind of movements just to engage my core, engage my arms. And it's interesting because I don't have that feeling of a rush like I would get when I was exercising. 
And I have this sustained energy. I don't have this drop like I was having. So I would have this rush in the morning. I would feel like alive. And then around somewhere around maybe one o'clock, the Dr. Pepper time, like one <laughs> o'clock, two o'clock, I would start to feel like drained. I'm like, I don't get it. I exercised. I'm eating well. What's going on? But I, I'm not stimulating my body through adrenaline because I don't do coffee like ever in my life. So I've never been a coffee drinker. Excellent. So, so I, I'm not an achy person. I have really good energy. I sleep beautifully. So I, I already don't have too much of a negative response with adrenaline, but I can hype myself up because I'm a fast talker. I'm a fast yes. mover. And, I, <laughs> and my, it's my Puerto Rican blood to be really fast and loud. And so it's, it's like I have that already, that personality. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm learning to turn my alarm clock off and exercise a little slower and walk slower and breathe as I talk slower. And it's definitely affecting my health for the, for the better. It's amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't have to have coffee. You can just be, like you said, your own adrenaline producing self. Yeah. Hype themselves up on adrenaline. You can talk yourself into it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think of like the seminars people go to and they're like, hey, everyone stand up and scream your name really loud. Don't you feel good? <laughs> it's like all, everyone's just getting off on adrenaline together. It's so interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's always just so lovely to talk to you because you're so, you're so concentrated in your wisdom. It's very direct. You don't, you're not tangential. You're so, you're just so, uh, you're so intentional. And I really appreciate that. And my listeners and my clients appreciate you so much. I've been sending so many people to your website and they're taking your courses and those courses are so amazing. Do you want to just have a minute to explain your courses to everybody? Oh, sure. I have right now I have 17 courses that are available and then I'm always adding right now. I'm working on a neurological course, which is quite in depth and, and you know, it's on Parkinson's and, you know, ALS, that's Lou Gehrig's disease and all those types of things. But the 17 that are already up and running cover all kinds of different topics. And then when you enroll in a course, you get, um, you get me teaching you about that particular aspect. You know, I'm covering different aspects for you. Like if you take the mental health, I mean, I'm only focused on mental health. I'm not looking at inflammation or I'm not looking at diabetes or PMS or whatever, because I explain all of those in detail and I go through the whys and the wherefores. And then I'm very specific. These are the things you need to give up and not eat, drink, or do. These are the things that you must eat, drink, and do. And then here are some things that, here's some, you can, you're allowed these things. And I call these protocols. And so you get your protocol and I'm very specific. Like I have a course on ADHD. I think how many protocols I have there, 12 or more, because I have them for kids. I have them for, if you have just the AD portion, the attention deficit, or if you just have the hyperactive, or if you have both, then, you know, if you're severe, mild, moderate. So I have all these different protocols. And so, and I have charts, depends on the course you're in, if you have the chart or not, because some of them don't need chart like, PMS is, well, just mild, moderate, severe, but anyway, so you, you have a chart to figure out where you are and say, oh, I need to be following this particular protocol because this is where I find all my symptoms fall out right here. So this is where I need to follow this protocol. So that's the course, but the advantage of the course that, that I'm doing is that I have made myself available to anybody that roll, enrolls in a course. I'm available to you through email. There's an Ask Karen, you know, platform where we're just posting the general questions. Do beans cause gas? You know, we, I just put that because everybody asks that question. <laughs> the top question. I've been number one question. You yeah. And I answer that and I put all that in the Ask Karen section, but then you have the ability, if you're enrolled in one of the courses, you may email me. And that's what, that's what I am spending my days doing mm-hmm. is that I have this every day. I'm 
huge amount of emails coming in and and my my office staff and I we work very hard at you know keeping up with all those emails and so I answer and you will you'll hear back from me you know and I read I read every email even though I have mm-hmm. staff they're actually helping me categorize them like these are high priority you can answer these you know later today or tomorrow this is like call them now do something now they're in desperation now you know and so they sort through them for me and and help me and then and then I go through but you will hear back from me and I will say based on what you told me we need to do this this and this well we need to modify your protocol because you said this to me you know you're allergic to fava beans or you're allergic to beans what can we do instead you know how can we get the soluble fiber and then anyway so it's and it's an unlimited amount I mean you can email me as often as you want whether that's every day or once a year or and the courses are perpetual so it's not like you you go through it and you're done you can't ever access it. you have unlimited access you can go back and watch the videos as many times as you want and you have it forever so I will say it's it's one of the smartest, most efficient things I've ever experienced from a practitioner with our new you know online world. Uh, yeah. It's so accessible. It's so affordable. You just go to go to karenherd.com and you'll see at the top, it will say menu and you click menu and e-courses and all the different topics are there to choose from. And there's so many topics to choose from. And what Karen said that's so generous is uh, two parts. One, you have them for life. So you can, it's like you have your own portal. So you just log in whenever you want. You can rewatch things. You can check your protocols again. You can, um, you can take notes. You can, you can replay as much as you want. The whole course is there. But I love the Ask Karen because that's where it becomes really tailored to each individual. And as your customer and you know, virtual client, I've experienced it. My friends and clients have experienced it. You get back to people really quickly. It's like a day or two usually. It's a perfect response. It's not an automated response that comes from a big lump of responses. It's, it's direct to your question. So it's such a really great tool you created because I've always, I've always you know, racked my brain like, how can I reach more people? And make it affordable and make it easy and, and, and honor my own energy in life. And you've done it. So uh, really good work. And I, I recommend everyone here goes to karenherd.com and just checks out the topics and find one that resonates with you and try it out. It's brilliant. It really is. So um, thank you. Thank you oh, as always I'm, for your time. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. My goal in life, I just, I want people to feel better. I love people. I want them to, to be feeling their best. The, it gets across that you do. Thank you. And you are. Thank you, yeah. Karen. Yeah. For more information on Karen's work, please visit karenherd.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing? right now. Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen. For all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time.
Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.